Okay, welcome everybody to week 12 of Beer and Bullshit with Corey McGee and Jason Boissonneau. Our podcast, doing doing good. Again, we're still uh, three months in and uh, haven't taken a week off. How are you doing tonight, Jay? Not too bad, a little tired. What yeah, you're a little pooch. Yeah, I had, you had a, a long meeting. meeting eh? Long meeting after work. Yeah, meeting yeah. for what? Uh, just uh, uh, one of the local nonprofit boards I'm on. Oh, you're such a good altruistic lefty. guy. <laughs> Community junkie. <laughs> that's right, that's right. So tonight we're joined by Robert Masso, the principal with Commerce Management Group, a business consulting firm based out of here in Timmins or all over northern Ontario? You know, we're based out of Timmins here, down on uh, Pine and 3rd, actually. Oh, excellent. Right on. Well, we're really happy to have you here tonight. Um, Jay sent me a little bit of a profile on you before uh, we did this. I, uh, I I thought I'd do a little bit of homework before we did this. I don't often do do too much of it. But uh, I, I thought I'd read up, and uh, I thought you'd be a really good person to, to talk about uh, a lot of the things that we talk about here on Beer and Bullshit. Uh, most of the stuff that our discussion centers around is, is a lot of local politics, uh, regional politics, um, local economies, or our regional economies, how things uh, are kind of developing. General uh, bullshit. Really. Yeah, you know, re- real bullshit stuff yeah, that, yeah. Uh, oh, that... Everyday stuff, everyday yeah, stuff. Yeah, everyday stuff. <laughs> things so, that matter. <laughs> so, uh, again, just a welcome to the Beer and Bullshit. Oh, thank you very much. Very happy to have you. So, how about you start off our conversation? We'd just like to get a, for you to give us a little bit of a background, who you are, how'd you get your start, where, what's your background, and, uh, you know, how did you find yourself here today doing what you do today? Well, a long time ago, I'm a lot older than you guys, so um, oh, I've got much. a little bit of a, of a history there. But a long time ago, I went away to school like every other good northerner does, goes to Toronto. I actually went for uh, cooking. So I um, gave it a shot at that, had a lot of fun in Toronto. Uh, came back, wanted to uh, begin the process of my career in cooking, and uh, it lasted maybe six months because I get fired every time I started cooking in a restaurant. <laughs> So I had to. Was your cooking that bad? No, the cooking was good. I just couldn't keep up with the volume. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to tell me you weren't getting along with the restaurant owners. Well, there's that too, but it's the beginning of your show, so I want to keep it nice. Yeah, sure. That's a few beers in, right? Yeah, there you go. Um, No, I I, I enjoyed cooking, but what I found was that um, it was a very difficult profession. People look at it on the basis that uh, you're going to be behind the. Behind the uh, the, uh, the stove, you look at it from um, a lot of these shows that are on the net food networks and all of that, and it looks pretty cool. But the reality is it's, it's a grind. And um, what happened there was I just found that I didn't want to. I, um, I decided that I needed to do something else. And then I decided that I had a bigger propensity for numbers than I did for uh, foie gras. Mm. So in that regards, I started doing a little bit of um, consulting, cash flow consulting for a bunch of restaurants and things like that. And that went well. And um, I parlayed that into a gig with Schick Hotels. And I became a uh, controller for a bunch of um, Holiday Inn um, properties in Ottawa and some other places. And uh, that went very well. But I was making 17 grand a year working 80 hours a week. And um, okay, but this was when? Oh, this is oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. seventy grand. That's I, like I, I told you, I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were we, we we went through this thing about inflated numbers and how things, uh, you know, when you when you uh, dollars in 1931 are not the same as 2016. <laughs> no, 17 grand in 86 is <laughs> okay. still it's 17 still, uh, grand today. <laughs> 
Yeah, it sucked. So in that <laughs> regards, I decided to uh, um, conquer the world, so to speak. So I decided that um, I put a business plan together and um, decided to come up north and conquer the world. So I went to Montreal and I raised some money on, some, on, on the street with some equity investors. Put that together and I was, came up north to put a plan to build a hotel, my own place, up in the north. And uh, lo and behold, I chose a V-Town. Wow. Little hamlet outside of Kirkland Lake. <laughs> okay. So at the time, it wasn't too, too bad. The, uh, the numbers were there. But um, it took me six months to um, prepare everything, put it together, uh, get the architects involved and all of that kind of fun stuff. And next thing you know, we uh, were two weeks to break ground. And um, the local mine decided to go bankrupt. There's a hit. Oh, that was more than a hit. Yeah. <laughs> no kidding. I don't really decide to go bankrupt. Just kind of go bankrupt. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they, no, no, you did, they decided. You know, that's it. Fuck it. We're done. <laughs> so next thing you know, uh, my equity investors out of Montreal decided to bail, which meant that the bank was going to bail because there was not enough equity in the project. And then once the bank bailed, well, the government subsidies bailed. So next thing you know, I've got a nice piece of property in V-Town in the bankrupt community and uh, had to figure out what the hell I was going to do. So at that time, I... Um, and this is going back some, some years. So we're going back to the before economic development was anything of a uh, concerted reality in the North. So <clears throat> I started doing a little bit of uh, consulting from, uh, from V-Town for clients down south. And um, the municipality at the time got some money from uh, the government. And they started a program called MEDA, Municipal Economic Development Assistance. And that was through MNDM. And it was supposed to be on the basis that the government provided 75% of the funding in the first year, and on a declining basis, after five years, the municipality had 75%, and the government had 25 And that created all kinds of economic development offices across the north, you know, from Hearst down to V-Town to New Liskard and so on and so forth. Because uh, the economy wasn't that great. It was the first time, really, that the mining community got hit hard. Okay. And um, from there, um, I built it into um, a small little going concern that we were giving a handout to these municipalities. And then I guess I made enough noise and uh, profile that uh, one of the government agencies picked me up and brought me here to Timmins. So I got a, a permanent gig. <coughs> And I was working at the EDC, Timmins Economic Development. And the EDC was relatively new at the time. And um, I was helping out businesses to, uh, to get started, uh, one at a time, that kind of stuff. But I used to get my hand slapped all the time. I think there's a trend there. Okay. <laughs> all right. So why would you get your hand slapped for that kind of stuff? Is it, is that, would that not be seen as a benefit to the community? Well, with government programs, there's always limitations of what you can and cannot do. And when you get involved in doing forecastings, there are certain uh, guidelines that the ministry wants to avoid. In other words, uh, Corey, I come and see you. You want to start a business. Um, I'm saying it's a good business. Invest ten grand into it or invest your house or your kid's education. Then all of a sudden the business fails. Well, Robert told me to do this. Mm -hmm. And when you're working for the municipality or government, there's an exposure there to the limits that the municipality or the government was willing to accept. Okay. And I couldn't reconcile that gap. 
in, in, I, I couldn't put myself in that position where I'm sitting down in, in behind a desk advising people on opportunities and things to grow and not being able to provide an opinion. So I, uh, I quit. And this is what kind of gave birth to where? Yeah. To your field of work now. Well, I quit. I quit that framework because it was a program delivery that the city was doing. And uh, at that point, I turned around and I went back to the city. And I says, well, I know there's a market for this. I know there's an opportunity. Give me a desk. Give me a computer. Give me a staff. And I'll kick back 20% to you of what I make. Mm-hmm. Within 18 months, I had made enough noise in the community that the, the other professionals that were in town uh, thought that my position was a privileged position and should be put up to tender. <laughs> So success breeds uh, criticism. Uh, criticism, competition. Comp- uh, yeah. I wouldn't even call it competition because they were competing with me before. Yeah. And anyways, so it came to the point where it, it was a big schmozzle. Um, Tom Logren was the, actually the chair of the uh, the board at the time, and um, he was a good guy. And uh, but he had a political reality to do because the EDC is a political organization. Mm-hmm. So he put it up to the uh, to the board. And um, I killed it before the vote, and I just took the office, bought a building downtown, and began right there. And the uh, the office was never f- uh, f- uh, backfilled. So from that point, I started building and building and building, and um, had an office in Hearst, had an office in Cochrane, had an office in Kirkland, had an office here. We were 21 staff. Uh, we were doing program delivery for the feds. We were doing program delivery for the uh, province. Now, was it always named uh, Commerce Management Group? Was it always named? the first one? Was actually TEDC Management Services. Oh, gee. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, any any copyright infringement there? <laughs> no, 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 none whatsoever. And so, at that point, um, I, I created Commerce Management Group. At that point, and it's been uh, around uh, ever since. We just actually celebrated our twenty fifth year anniversary. Uh, about two months ago, three months ago. Yeah. So you guys have been really in in the undercurrent of some of these businesses popping up around around the north, providing the the kind of guidance and uh, and and help for for people to to develop these business plans. Uh, yeah, so that plus municipalities. We um, we did the uh, you know what a community action plan is, a CIP. I can I can guess, <laughs> but if you want to elaborate. <laughs> Let you know for the layman's. You might yeah, as well just explain layman's, it. You know. <laughs> well, the, the people the tuning in who might not uh, be so intelligent as me and Jay. But I mean. <laughs> um, essentially, what it is, is is just a plan to put in play um, growth for the municipality. Uh, we've did the strategic plans from uh, everywhere from Hearst down to uh, New Lisker. So over the past 25 years, we did um, community strategic plans, tourism plans, a lot, a lot of the things on behalf of the municipality for us to be able to move it forward. But at the same time, in a parallel effort, we look at those opportunities and we try to match them up with uh, private sector businesses to, uh, to get realized. Mm, okay. So uh, it's as simple as a uh, going to Opisatica and um, polling the community to see what's uh, next and what their wants are for the future to as deep as a official plan that is submitted to uh, the province for um, 
the baseline on what they're going to use for the next 25 years growth. Mm, okay. So it, it gets fairly involved and can be very simple. Okay. Well, that said, and I think that's a pretty good segue into our local politics. Uh, I know that uh, a lot of our, our current um, municipal action plan for things like tourism and uh, and um, I, I think they did their the master plan to 2020 yep. just uh, yep. a few years ago, right? Yep. And um, there's been a lot of controversy around that. Uh, people kind of controversy, inside. controversy, in municipal politics. Really? <laughs> what? Never. <laughs> of course not. Hey, it doesn't we? matter what count, what town you're in, what city you're in. Um, municipal politics is. The equivalent of uh, fist fights on the street. It's young and restless. It's literally a soap opera half the time too. Uh, that it is. It's so. Well, every, think, do you think it's more agenda driven, or do you think it's more ideology driven, or is a little bit of everything? Mixed it's bag? naivety. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, okay. absolutely. Everybody sits back and uh, wants to get into the, uh, to politics, and they have no depth of understanding for what is really transpiring inside of a municipal structure. <laughs> like this guy? <laughs> really wants to break, break into politics. And yeah, but the thing is, is that that's what municipal level is. Mm-hmm. It is uh, a mash of passion and ideals meeting fiscal limitations and bureaucratic uh, walls and I've I've always kind of felt that way, and it's uh, I find municipalities are unique, uniquely challenged like that because they have very few or limited revenue streams. Right, you can talk, tax people's properties, and there are user fees. That's uh, it. from what I'm aware yeah. of. Right, I want government grants too. Yeah, okay. They well, I mean, and that's that's basically our, our income tax coming back yeah. to us, right? So, uh, but that's the, changing. That's changing in in which ways? Well, a lot of the economic development corporations in um, the north are undertaking CIPs and uh, CIPs community uh, improvement plan. Mm-hmm. Give you an example: in Cochrane, um, they just built a uh, seniors' residence, affordable okay. housing. Um, there's a a big gap between economic reality and the economic equation to realizing an initiative. And that's in, in municipal politics. That gap is extremely present. Nobody knows how to, or nobody can rationalize the the bringing of together those two, uh, uh, two points. But in Cochrane, um, they created a, um, this facility, but the economics in a small town still is difficult. You can't make it sustainable. You can't charge $3,000 for somebody to live in an apartment so that they can get fed, uh, housed, and um, uh, taken care of. You just don't have the tax base to support those kinds of services. You just don't have the income base by Mm -hmm. the residents living in the place. So there's a a limitation. And they came up with a concept that was uh, actually very cool. Uh, It is being recognized across the north and trying to be implemented in many communities. And what they did is they went to a developer. The developer undertook the development of the projects completely from soup to nuts. And at the end of the process, they brought in the municipality, um, and the municipality contributed land, contributed cash, contributed uh, fee offsets and certain things, so that the project in its entirety could be put off the ground. In, In capital programs, the biggest issue is actually building it. And you can amortize it over 25 years and spread out the cost. Um, then you can pay a little bit of it as you go. But to actually get it built, nobody's taking that risk. So a CIP, the Community Action Plan, allows municipalities to do that. To partner up with private 
partners, yeah. right? Okay. Uh, private um, uh, private partners. Um, here in Timmins, the BIA have a granting program. They have a, a BIA improvement plan. So every year, people who own businesses in a designated area can make application to receive cash to assist in the refurbishing of their properties um, to betterment for creation of apartments and so on and so forth. The idea behind that is that you improve the building, you can improve the value. If you can improve the value, you increase the tax base and so on and so on and so on. Mm. So these CIPs are being launched. Uh, some of them have been in place. Like in Hearst, the CIP has been there for 15 years. Uh, the one in Cochrane is brand new. Um, Bonfield, just outside of North Bay, they're actually in the process now of doing one. So these things are coming. So do you think that the, the conflict arises mostly out of where that balance is found between the private and public partnership? Because it seems to me like uh, the people who are against certain projects tend to fall on the side of saying, you know, the city is doing too much or is, or is giving too much that this private partner, it's a sweetheart deal for them. They're assuming no risk, right? It's, it's spreading that's apart crap. that risk. You think so? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's okay. Crap. Somebody has to be responsible and assume the risks. Okay. Okay. Usually when municipalities get involved, they are enhancing a good project, not assuming that risk. So okay. um, it's, it's looking for affordable housing. Okay. You want to segue into that. Um, just look at the numbers that we have right now. It's, it's frightening. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was a kid, the biggest uh, problem was youth exodus from the north. Everybody was going to school down south. Everybody was going away. College Boreal didn't exist. The University of Hearst didn't exist, so on and so forth. So all the kids left. Some of them came back. Most didn't. Now, coming, starting probably in the next two to three years, it is a senior migration that is going to have the most economic um, impact mm-hmm. in northern Ontario tenfold of what the impact was when the kids left. Mm-hmm. And the reality is um, you have to be able to deal with it. We're broke. All municipalities are broke. Mm-hmm. And to be able to take on um, innovative approaches, or even not even innovative, even old school tactics, you have to assume risk. If not, it's gone. it's going to be gone. So you think that, uh, and and that's something that I'd given a little bit of thought about. Uh, I, I know for for people of like me and Jay's generation, it's it's something that seems so far off. So we're not really thinking a lot about you know affordable housing for seniors in the community. Maybe Jay a little bit more because he ran for council and is you know needed to think about it, needed to be confronted with the harsh realities. Oh, yeah. I didn't really think about much. Let's let's be honest. <laughs> hey, hey, you're the only guy who were, go- yeah, who were going to the seniors' homes. Yeah, I went to his Tim's housing uh, residence. I- I attempted, yeah. but but just this idea that you know people are going to be getting uh, are getting older in their homes. Uh, there are more and more people retiring, ending up on fixed incomes, and uh, as property values rise, tax bills go up, right? But if your your income levels uh, don't change, then you know could you is is that kind of that, what you're referring to? No, it, no, no, it's it's, it's, it's more even, basic than that. Even more, okay. More basic than that. Okay, let's um, let's use an example. Smooth Rock Falls. Your parents are from there. Yeah, it's a nice little small town. Uh, used to have a big uh, big mill. Used to smell like crap. <laughs> oh, especially on the rink. True. Oh yeah, man, you go play hockey. It's right next oh. to the rink. 
I, when I first got started, we did a lot of work in Smooth Rock Falls, and the and the craft smell was there. And every time we were in town, the wind was blowing west. Everybody used to say, "Oh, that's the smell of money." <laughs> 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 the smell of jobs. That's right. But the reality is, is that Smooth Rock Fall um, has undergone a catastrophic change from the days uh, even, you know, uh, two, uh, 15 years ago. Mm. So um, what's happening is it's being challenged for um, just to maintain the infrastructure. The high school's gone, the schools are gone, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. The houses, there was a plummet in the housing uh, cost and the structure that occurred in that town after the announcement of Tembeck. So it didn't matter that the taxes were going up. The base equity in people's houses evaporated. So people abandoned their homes, literally just walked away. Because there was nothing, essentially there was nothing left there for them, right? Ciao. Gone. So, but expand that into um, other communities across the north. People get um, to a certain point, people don't necessarily invest a lot in savings and so on and so forth, and the value of their homes are usually used as the piggy bank to be able to retire on. Well, you're in Opsatica, and um, your equity was your house. Who's going to buy your house to be able to actually grab the cash to move to a long-term facility? Mm-hmm. You no can't. One. No one. And it's a reality of everybody now. We're living longer but we're, I mean, we're requiring those assisted living circumstances, right? People aren't just dying when they're fully functional. Well, they talk about that. Even, that's not even a northern problem. They talk about it in Toronto where you'll have someone, it's an old lady who's been living in her home for 50, 60 years and, you know, hasn't worked. Their, their husband died years ago. Uh, really no real planning, economic planning and, or, you know, financial planning. And then like, oh, well, what are you going to do to, to live? Well, I'll sell my house and I'll, you know, I'll have plenty of money. My house is worth this much now. Now I'm moving mm-hmm. to a nice uh, apartment. It's like, yeah, well, the apartments are three grand a month or whatever. Well, You're going to be Mary's. done in 10 years. You're gone. Yeah. yeah. My, uh, we uh, moved my dad into the St. Mary's facility here in Timmins, and it's a wonderful f- facility. Mm. It's, uh, pricey. Yeah. Um, but he was privileged enough um, to put aside some dough and being able to, uh, to do that. But it is not... Um, a reality that everybody shares. And even for some of the residents that are in there, they're uh, counting pennies mm-hmm. to be able to maintain it. So when you're looking at a long-term bed in, a, in, in one of these long-term facilities, ranges between 1,800 and, 20, and 19 to 2,100 a month. You know, what mm-hmm. are you going to do? So the, the, the fact is, just going back to Cochrane, mm-hmm. And them assuming a more proactive uh, means of project development to satisfy the needs. That's what needs to be done. And when ideology and individual residents um, that are not living that reality um, come uh, face-to-face, there's friction. So that's it. And, and what's happening in Timmins now with the Taxpayer Association and all of that, that's only going to get exacerbated over time. Yeah. And it doesn't matter who is in uh, the big fancy chair with the chains. It is a function of the job to uh, face those that opposition and those that are skillful at it, um, bring those different parties together. Mm-hmm. So the North is a fantastic place to live. Yeah, I hold there's more opportunity up here than anywhere, um, but we have challenges and we need to face them on and we need to face them with reality. And how do you think we're faring so far? <coughs> well, no, we suck. Really? That bad, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, 
that's uh that fares well for uh our guest from two weeks ago yeah. <laughs> uh no i mean we we had the mayor on and he, he struck me as you know a guy struck me as a very intelligent guy a guy who knew his stuff um i don't know that he's the great uh you know bringer together of all parties um I mean, he, he told us on the podcast that he wasn't going to engage on social media anymore, but uh, that he, he just couldn't do. He just Didn't couldn't help long. himself. Yeah. Jesus, <laughs> I think that's a reality of today's environment. You have to. Yeah, but I mean, there's there's engaging in the way that you can make yourself available and you can make announcements and you you can have a presence without engaging in back and forth rants with individuals. Who yeah. hold um, and and I mean I can sympathize with him and he, he said it on the show he said you know I I have an issue when falsehoods are put out there and I want I don't want opinions to be swayed by false information well to some extent you've got to trust one our media to put good information out there and two you've got to trust that people aren't just going to take this stuff on face value not always the case but I mean uh, <laughs> y- you got to hope at least that cooler heads will prevail. Uh, well, you know, there's two sides of that one. Um, it, when you're in public office, you have to t- to assume a certain level of um, abuse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think you can get around with it, um, but um, you also have to have uh, boundaries, and um, sometimes these boundaries get uh, exploited in. Um, in social media, because essentially there are no boundaries there. Mm-hmm. You can say or do whatever you want, and then you get caught into this uh, cycle of, um, of prom- uh, um, that just goes down to the base argument, and, and you start calling each other names. Yeah, it's very childish. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. No, it's a, you end up like Trump. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, we're definitely going to want to get your take on that, but I think Jay had a question for you. All right, well, before I get to my... Well, I'm going to ask you a question. Don't answer right away. Just think about it, because uh, I will then go into the beer before I come back to you. Uh, what do you think is the uh, the future North when it comes to economic opportunities? What do you think is going to be the thing that's going to drive the North, or maybe not will drive the North, but can drive the North and could should be something that you know local politicians should focus towards? Think about that for a second. I'm gonna it's a Nostradamus prophecy. <laughs> so tonight's beer. Tonight we're drinking. What are we drinking tonight, Jay? We're this dr- is delicious. Stuff. We're drinking Muskoka Brewery Unfiltered Cream Ale. Uh, the commercial description is: First brewed in 1996, our flagship Muskoka Cream Ale has since become a signature beer of the Muskoka region. Unmistakable with its rich amber color and inviting floral tones. This laid-back English pub style ale is uh, smooth and easygoing. With a cascade hoppiness and fuller body of flavor, this gold medal winning Canadian cream ale is a quintessential taste of cottage country. Raise a glass. Uh, You guys get paid for them? No. (laughs) We're we're waiting for free swag from someone. Have yet to receive a single piece. You'd think if you we're do a hoping. beer program, you know, yeah. some beer company. And we've been tagging every Yeah, but wouldn't that compromise your uh, integrity? As we the, are not uh, journalists. We, we, have, we're not, we have we no say integrity. We all the time. All the yeah. time. We, we are not biased. We, we will we, sell out to anyone. Or sorry, we are biased. <laughs> <laughs> we don't try to hide our bias. And we said we'll do 45 minutes of live reads. Just, <laughs> just, just going on. If they want to pay, uh, we will Whoever do it. wants to pay, you get free air No airtime. problem. So, uh, yeah, so this is 5% uh, cream ale. It's a... Uh, uh, not too too shabby. A uh, beer advocate is giving it a seventy-eight out of a hundred. Seventy-eight. So it's an okay God, taste. Uh, really? really, I'm. Uh, 
I'm torn. I want to like it more. I don't. You don't? Really? It's okay. Okay. I, I want to like it more. I'm... See, there's like municipal politics. It leaves a little bit bitter taste yeah. in my mouth. I'm <laughs> gonna give it I, out of a ten. I would give it a six. You give it a six? Yes. Wow, not generous. No, Robert. Hey, um, no, I I would go six or seven. Yeah, too. I'm I'm kind of um, uh, more uh, leaning towards a uh, cre- not a cream ale, but a pale ale. Oh, okay, okay. okay. So you I like the 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 harp, uh, hop, hoppier stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Well, to be honest, I, I picked this up tonight, <laughs> and it was because I'm extremely partial to this beer. This, to me, anyways, in my honest opinion, is probably as close to a perfect beer as you can get. I'm going to give this a, uh, just because I'm, I'm like a sucker for imperfection, it, I'm going to give it a 9.5 out of 10. Okay. Wow. See, it's I'm- like the crack on the Liberty <laughs> Bell. Or the... The mole on Sidney Crawford's on face. On Sidney Crawford's face, exactly. <laughs> uh, I would say I, I I enjoy... There's Muskoka beers I, that I like much more than this one. I just don't think... Other, other Muskoka beers this isn't the one I enjoy the most. No, no. Okay. The, well, it. you know what? I like the Detour. It's... I like some other ones. This is... I'm not as fond of this one. Yeah, it's pretty tasty. Well, I mean, it's not for everybody, I guess. Well, the whole craft movement has really changed and swung the perspective of what's available. Yeah. What, oh, exactly. Not. And it's I think the, it's great. And I'm, I'm really anxious to see this guy. The have you tried it yet? Full beard? Yeah, I have. I, oh, yeah, and I really, BIA. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it oh, good. it's very tasty. We did a podcast with him, and uh, we sat there and drank what two, two or three, or three pitchers, pitchers? <laughs> <laughs> and it's good beer. It's uh, I think it's a very accessible beer it's something that a lot of people can uh, can get into and uh, I, i'm excited you know what i i'm partial to anything local so uh it's uh it's nice to see so you'll get your consulting kind of services locally too right absolutely <laughs> if i ever need some absolutely yeah hey, but you know what the irony is is that i've been at it for 25 years and never got a gig in timmins Never got a gig in Timmins. Like a, a never, municipal, municipal gig. Never got a municipal gig in Timmins. Did every other municipality from Hearst to North Bay, Sudbury included, never got a job here in Timmins? Do you think there's some sour grapes from your past involvement with the... Uh... <laughs> no, I don't think so. No? Uh, well, there might be, but I, I, I don't think so. I think it's just a matter of function that you're always perceived as the expert in the other town, not your own. Mm, that's, so. my, that's my political uh, my political <laughs> statement. <laughs> so uh, the question: What do you think? Uh, before ad- I get into that, I, yeah. I just going back to the beer. Okay. I heard through the grapevine that there was an Icelandic beer that I'd be trying out tonight. Oh, who? I guess Evan no, told I you. Know, it's, <laughs> it's, I, I can get it brought here. You like to <laughs> We're gonna get a special delivery. <laughs> Jay's gonna get on the It is beer and bullshit, right? <laughs> it is yes. beer and bullshit. We gotta go through bullshit to get the beer. <laughs> I can I can send a message to see if I can get a delivery brought. All here. right. Well, if we can get some deliveries, uh, we we've had people drop into the show before <laughs> Your and parents. just stop it. Yeah, my, my parents just show up sometimes. And go, hey, what's going on down here? Uh, so okay, so going yeah, back, if we can do that. That'd be great. But yeah, Jay asked you to kind of uh, ponder and speak a little bit about what you thought the economic future was for the North. Okay, well, you, I'm going to have to make you work a little bit harder than that. Do you? So, all right, so I'm up for it. So pick a sector. Pick a sector. Hmm. Pick so a like, sector. like primary industry sector or more, more forestry, mining, tourism, sure. Let's agriculture. Let's, let's talk mining. I, I, this is you, you know, know a lot of people want to talk mining, right? So yeah. let's talk mining. So in mining, I think the um, the most significant activity in mining um, from a development perspective uh, was an initiative actually launched through the city of Timmins, and it was uh, Discover Abitibi. Robert Cahoon ran that. 
Okay, if you can elaborate a little bit on that, it's not something I'm super familiar with. Or at all. At all? Yeah. <laughs> oh, come on, Jay. You had to bust me? This is, yes and. Come on. So in, in mining, the biggest issue is you have to find the deposit. Finding the deposit costs a fortune. Um, so you've got a lot of juniors out there using flow-through chairs, trying to generate some, some capital to be able to drill. They find something, they hustle it on the street and try to flip it and turn it. Um, but going back a few years, like we have now, there's not a lot of juniors out there act, uh, doing activities. So what the MNDM did in um, this program was to initiate and free up some dollars for properties to be explored for long-term um, development. So the Discover Activity Program um, did just that. There was all kinds of properties. There were some dollars available. They found some deposits. And it created um, mining opportunities. Mining in itself is a primary activities, but it is consumptive. Okay, it'll never last until you find another one. Hmm. It dies. And just look at all of them. And, and we're going to be facing some pretty harsh realities soon with uh, the Kid Creek deposit closing up. Hmm. But there's opportunity there, too, when they're going to be spending three or $400 million in closing up the property. There's mm-hmm. going to be a lot of cash being uh, generated. But if you look at the, uh, the, the, the past little while, the real economic gains that have been made is when mines establish themselves. They spend huge amounts of money. It gets captured, and it is that that needs to be kept locally, or at least regionally, to be able to transit um, and create market opportunities for and jobs for a lot of the people. One of the biggest gains that was in play uh, was the Atawapiskat project. That created all kinds of opportunities for First Nations, for um, for mining suppliers, and so on and so forth. And that's a natural part of the the, the cycle. So government. And government has to take a very, in my opinion anyways, has to take a very limited participation in that because you can't skew natural uh, gains um, and then make it go. I was really pissed when um, the government didn't back the project to keep Kid Creek Metallurg, uh, the Met site here, and uh, they ended up going to Rouen. Uh, the gains that that town has made since that has transferred is incredible. So policy drives that one. So in mining, uh, the best thing you can do um, is focus in on um, keeping the primary and uh, uh, the tier one and two suppliers and get those people to invest locally so that they create those jobs and satisfy those uh, those opportunities. Okay. So when are, are there certain economic realities that are outside of the power of the municipality, let's say, to be able to keep those industries here? Because I, I think when the uh, when the med site was closing up, a lot of the blame was going to, a, you know, like hydro costs and, and things like that, um, which aren't necessarily controlled by, by the city, right? Well, no, the, so city, the city has really nothing to do. Okay. Okay. Honestly, when you're looking at that, other than... Um, Looking at site approvals for downtown mines, Mm -hmm. um, it really doesn't have a large influence on the ability to create uh, deposits. Uh, The the deposits are there. They're either in town Mm -hmm. or they're not. Yeah. If they're in town, then they need to be exploited. If they're exploited, they need to be done within the boundaries of your municipality and and the rules that they impose upon that specific. Look at the kerfuffle that happened with um, um, the Hollinger uh, deposit. Mm -hmm. You know, but that is within the purview of the municipalities yeah. to dictate its boundaries because it's there. It's, and literally, it's right in the middle of the right in the middle of the city. 
Right. Yeah. And yeah. and the other um, and and municipalities, not just in Timmins, but across the north, are getting whacked by the mines reassessing their uh, properties on their impact. Next thing you know, you got three or four hundred thousand of assessment being taken out of the um, primary. Uh, coffers, so the municipality doesn't have a choice but to react by dispersing the um, value of the draw on other segments, mm-hmm. which includes residential and uh, institutional or, mm-hmm. or what have you. So in mining, it's there. We react to it. We can't really initiate it. And those things that initiate it are more at the provincial and federal levels mm-hmm. with uh, flow-through policies as well as um, mining act requirements and so on and so forth that are d- driven by the, uh, the province. So you think there's some lobbying efforts that could be made? Some additional lobbying efforts? Or do you think that's something that we're doing uh, Not on the a pretty decent level. job on? Not at the municipal level. No, you can't lobby provincial politicians, provincial right, you can, and federal but politicians? what are you going to lobby them for? You know, you're going to lobby them for, um, you know, uh, trying to find another deposit. Yeah, yeah you can by creation of another program like the, uh, Discover Ab- mm-hmm. Abitibi. That makes a lot of sense um, for a municipality to incur costs to go and lobby the, the ministries for um, trying to put um, a mill in town. Well, that is completely outside of their yeah. their purview or decision making capacity. That's free market decision. Mm-hmm. Right? You can't mm-hmm. force them. Yeah, and and I, and I think that's kind of what you were alluding to in the sense of you know government's limited involvement in these kinds of these kinds of things. They're reactionary. Right? Just look look at V Town, where I started when uh, uh, when when I was going to pop up a hotel. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the the town at the time was was bending over backwards. They were um, you know willing to to, to plow the uh, the parking lots to. Uh, assist whatever they can in creating that project because it, it made sense. It was it was keeping dollars in the communities and it was creating taxable infrastructure. Mm-hmm. But the town got screwed. The town the, it went bankrupt, so the town lost its primary tax base and it didn't have a choice but to disperse that cost back onto the residents, which made the 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 first hit even worse because you're down on the ground and you're getting kicked in the balls. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's it's a negative consequences all the way through when your primary tax um, returns evaporate. Hmm. So what you're saying is we're screwed. No, we're not screwed. <laughs> <laughs> we're not screwed. On mining, it is a reactionary basis. Yeah, yeah. we it. just it's it's just the reality of the sector. We have to just be on our on the balls of our feet and ready to, and, to, and, to pounce on projects. I, I know of a project that TDC did with. Um, uh, an organization out of Sudbury called uh, the Ontario Mining uh, One North. I forgot what the acronym stands for, but okay. it essentially is trying to convince um, companies that service or tier one, tier two suppliers to the mining industries to relocate here. And I think they found some success with that. You you might know who is one of the uh, workers doing that, but I'm not, we're not going to say his name or anything. Oh. Okay, deal. Transient. <laughs> Oh, the transient. He'll be on next week. Oh, is he? <laughs> yeah. Uh, we, we actually should take a moment before we, we kind of move on to talk a little bit about what we're going to be doing next week. Um, next week, anybody who is has been following anything yeah, on our, TV our, lately yeah. <laughs> uh, will know that there's a, a large event going on next Tuesday. Uh, Super Tuesday? Wh- what do you think it is? The su- Super Tuesday? So it's the Super Bowl, right? <laughs> Super, Football? S- no, I don't know about that. Uh, the it's U.S. election. <laughs> yeah. There, there's a U.S. presidential election going on. Uh, if you've paid any yeah, attention underneath to Yeah, live underneath a rock. Yeah, You're not too sure not. what's going on. Uh, so we're going to be doing a live uh, beer and bullshit that night with the uh, local transient John Belanger joining us, drinking beer, and hopefully we're not going to see the end of the world. 
<laughs> we'll see. You know what? Is everything uh, just going to explode? Maybe. Kind of scared. Depends who you ask. Kind, right? kind of, kind of nervous, but we'll just uh, <laughs> we'll see what happens. I, I think we'll we'll get into this probably discussion a little bit later. But yeah, so we will be doing a live uh, a live stream. So check out the Facebook page. Which, uh, yeah, we'll we're be on there. Be promoting it on there, and uh, yeah. we'll we'll be pu- putting a link up, and uh, you guys can check it out. Probably be around what eight eight thirty on uh, November eighth. Well, I guess well, you know what. Uh, let's let's. Yeah, we'll say eight thirty. Yeah, we'll st- we'll start it then because uh, the results should come in later that night, about ten thirty or so, usually. Yeah, about ten thirty is when the results come in, uh, or they give the the predicted winners all the time, and it'd be, it'd be hilarious if they got it completely wrong the one day. Well, wow, remember when uh, George Bush in Florida? Yeah, oh, yeah, they had, that would uh, be so great. It took like four days to figure out who won. I, I, That's I, right, I, but they had pick, uh, predicted it uh, early in the evening, and yeah. all of a sudden it turned and chaos reigned. Oh, it's gonna be crazy. Oh, I can't. I can't wait to hear. Or even better, not hear Donald Trump's concession speech. <laughs> I don't think he's going to do one. Yeah, oh, that oh, would won't. be. The, 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 they stole be... the election. I'm going home. Yeah. Oh, wouldn't it be crazy? Maybe not. <laughs> so I, I do have a question uh, for the next industry type of thing. That I have a yeah. question mm-hmm. about. Uh, I'll let you uh, more predictions. I do there. Sure. Um, so my thing, uh, my question is uh, about the industry uh, agriculture. Uh, do you see that being a, a growth? Because I know there's a lot of push with that, with different things. Because uh, I, you know, I, I, I did. I guess have some experience with some of those uh, businesses that uh, kind of are interested in that. But uh, yeah, do you see agriculture being uh, the next big big thing? And uh, I have a follow up question afterwards. But uh, yeah, do you, what do you see? I see agriculture as a transitionary industry for Northern Ontario. Okay. I think that um, it's time to invest so hard in that industry that. Um, um, it should dwarf tourism. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, big time. There's a statement. Oh, big time. Okay. And the reason is, is that it's sustainable. Hmm. And the economic equation in, in agriculture has changed. Right, you've seen or you've heard um, the Mennonites moving into uh, Matheson. Yes. Um, did you know that um, they don't make announcements of what they're doing? But get in the plane, fly over it, and you will see... Um, visual transformation of what's happening. Drive through VG. It's nuts. You go through Valgani, just drive through it. It's insane. There are eight to nine. I know one company, one supplier that has eight DZ bulldozers working around the clock, pushing dirt to, to create arable lands uh, for the demand that the Mennonites are bringing. Wow. It's, okay, it's, so there's it's, all this stuff going on under our noses. Yeah, yeah. Right. Right. And right now, and that's where municipalities can play the game. Okay, and how can municipalities help facilitate that kind of stuff? Do we need a department of agriculture at the city of Timmins? No, stay out of it. <laughs> <laughs> Let them do their thing. Let industry lead the way. But okay. um, agriculture, it, it, it's, it's like the bastard child. Uh, nobody believes that it's actually going to create potential into the future because we've been indoctrinated or t- since um, – decades that mining is it, forestry is it, and so on and so forth. The reality is, is agriculture uh, has changed. It used to be um, that agriculture was sustainable living. You had some poor farmer on a dirt patch in Valrita um, that came over from Quebec or somewhere and that just did 150 acres, cleared the land, and grew potatoes and, and did it. Agriculture has changed so dramatically in the past two decades that 
it has eclipsed people's radar. So now agriculture is done by machines that are so large, they get floated in, they operate on a GPS, <laughs> they uh, need a square uh, footprint that is a lot larger than 150 acres. They need lands that are two, three, four thousand in size to be able to extrapolate the um, value and the economic value. And in my eyes, agriculture is going to be the catalyst for economic growth. Because as it stands right now, you have people in Stainer, Ontario, Leamington, Ontario, that own land that is, you know, between eight to $15,000 an acre. Just quick numbers. To be able to pay for that, that land, you need to set aside 2 to 3% of a harvest just to, to satisfy the land cost. All right? So you got to grow a lot of volume on that specific parcel of land to be able to justify the activity. So you need bigger, better, and so on. But in the north, when you got a land cost around eighteen hundred dollars, mm. okay, two to two to three percent of eighteen hundred dollars is a huge difference from two to three percent of fifteen thousand. So you don't have to grow as much to make more money. Good point. Mm. And the Mennonites have figured that out. Yeah, pretty quick, right? But it, it, is there a reason? Because I always kind of wonder if if something's not happening. Or if something's not happening amongst maybe the, the general population, there's got to be a reason for that. Is it just because people haven't figured it out yet? That yeah, Part and parcel. You go to a steakhouse and ask for a vegan meal, they're not going to know what to give you. We're in a mining community. We're in a forest community. <laughs> that's, a <good> <laughs> like that. <laughs> that's fair enough. Yeah, no, no that's, that's a very good point. That uh, I, I guess it's, it's something like you called it the bastard child, right? Something that people aren't necessarily uh, paying attention to. It's not something that we, we've traditionally done in, in our area. We but, haven't. And, and the thing is, is those that have were um, poor farming communities um, along Highway 11 that... Um, trudged because they had 16 kids and were working the farmland mm -hmm. and all those kids uh, ended up going to um, the forestry sector and being absorbed in that and there was nobody else to pick up those those parcels drive along highway 11 at night um, and you see or during the day or anytime you, you see the fences that are 40 years old that are falling down you see the trees that are now the old farms a little easier to see in a day I gotta say Pardon me? A little easier to see in a day. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I really like going on Highway 11 at night because you're driving down highway and you see the little blue lights of the little houses mm -hmm. that are still there and they're the people that are not going outside and those are the people that are going to need some significant help in, in future. Mm -hmm. And the only way that they have to be able to do that is by liquidating their houses and moving to some place that makes sense. So, and, and that's why the population is, is, is really challenged over the next 10 years. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's something, uh, I, I, I think when I do think about it, I, I have noticed this. Like last week, my band played a gig in um, uh, Ville Marie and driving Great out place. there. Oh, it's oh, a beautiful, yeah. beautiful town. And uh, we were never treated better anywhere else. Amazing, amazing place. But uh, just speaking of the drive there, that's one thing that you, you can tell noticeably the change in topography and just the, the amount of uh, land that's cleared 
in that area. Because oh, you incredible. you turn off the highway off Highway 11, and you've got that secondary road that's that's kind of between Highway 11 and the, I forget which highway it is that that leads right into Vimeggy. But um, that you drive down that road, and it's completely cleared for for miles. You you look around, it's it's all farmland. Well, you go even if you go on to the Quebec side, going from Notre Dame to Rouen. In little places like Montbayal, mm-hmm. um, places that were traditionally just forested areas have completely been transformed. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all farmland. If you look at Google Map and you put um, Abitibi on one side and, and Ontario on the other side, there's a very distinct line of the clearing of the land mm-hmm. to the right and forested to the left. Mm. So, and we're the same climate. Right. Yep. Cochrane District's agricultural um, community represents roughly 180 farms. 180 operators. That's it. So in Quebec, it is three times that. (laughs) Okay. Same topography, same land, same climate, same everything. And and what you're attributing that to is is Facts. Not, not okay, no, 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 no. I understand that it's fact it's factual information, but but just that reality that there's more going on on the Quebec side than there oh, is yeah, in our time. area. It's it's more because we just have not as a community or as individuals, entrepreneurs in the community have not taken advantage of that opportunity that's ta- that's well, we've there. been dissuaded. Dissuaded from Oh yeah, really? absolutely. Okay, by who? Um, the crown. Okay. Okay. Um, forest countries. Um, when the, <laughs> there used to be an organization called ARDA. Okay. Okay. And that was in 1966. They came out and they were doing a land classification process. And they had identified, um, agriculture from the great clay belt. You've heard of that. Okay. Well, there's also a little clay belt, which extends from Cochrane all the way up to Capascasing and beyond. But the thing is, is that sustainable uh, farming was there, and the people that were operating got absorbed inside of forestry at the mills and in Capascasing and Smooth Rock and everything mm-hmm. else. So farming naturally went down. The highest um, acreage consumption in, 90, I think it was 57, there was 57,000 acres of uh, farmed and in production lands, either in in um, in um, uh, livestock and so on and so forth, um, and now we're down to maybe twenty eight. So there's been a lot of lands that have been cleared, was farmed, and now is reverted back to nature. What has happened since is that the um, crown management policies have changed. So we go to SFLs. So we went to um, uh, to what? Okay, sorry. Sustainable to... forestry license. Okay. All right. So you have a lot of uh, forests that are managed by um, large companies like Tembeck, Ecom, and so on and so forth. Some of them um, are cooperatives, and uh, it's a really good model. Um, but that was a transformation um, of an old model that was in, incumbent upon the crown to manage these forests. They transferred it down to, to the industry. Those were during the Harris days. And now they're being um, uh, developed uh, as such. But those forests being managed are obligated to provide civiculture. So you cut one down, you plant three. I don't know what the ratio is, but it mm-hmm. essentially was mm-hmm. that is. So they don't want crown land to move because these are the trees that are 
available for their operations in the future. Mm. So you take 30,000 acres out of campus casing forest while you're taking away the closest trees to the mill, uh, thereby pushing more cost onto Tembeck to run an old decrepit, or I shouldn't say decrepit, but older <laughs> mill um, in campus casing. We don't want to be slanderous here. <laughs> <laughs> But but, uh, but but that reality would would that not um, put the agricultural sector in direct comp- conflict and competition with the the, the forestry? The crown line is always in competition with something or another. The forestry <laughs> sector. Somebody wants it. Well, somebody wants it. The recreational, the cottagers, uh-huh. the, uh, the, the 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 snowmobile operators. Everybody's in conflict because it's a mixed use public resources. Mm-hmm. Um, between the economics of it, between the value of the actual asset, uh, there's a give and take and an ebb and f- uh, flow that finds the common ground. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, over the next few years, you will see uh, some of that land being ceded by um, the forestry companies in favor of agriculture. And the reason why? Because it makes money. Mm. Okay, so right now you find that these started these uh, civil culture started in what forty seven or so. These trees are going soon going to be ready for harvest. Well, you have to replant them. Well, harvest the trees off of them, and then let's um, convert them into agriculture and the plant crops. Will, plant crops, and the forest companies don't have to pay for the civil culture because it's done. Hmm. So I have a question. Uh, well, well, Corey gets me another beer. No, I'm sorry, Jay. So, I wasn't paying attention. I know it doesn't. Do doesn't we have a tip here? <laughs> so, uh, first, uh, Icelandic beer. Can I get you another one. I, Icelandic beer might not make it. Uh, the the deliverer is still at her at, at her. Uh, She's her, drunk. No, at her. <laughs> I like. Employer? No, Timmins Social Nationalist Group. I'm not sure. The, <laughs> the Canets. I'm not sure what they, what they are. Uh, she's still at her meeting. Uh, so but I have a question about agriculture. And this is this one thing, I, I, and I don't know. You might have uh, maybe the ratio or the economic uh, multiplier. Uh, so it, let's say, you know, we, we walk away from, from mining. And walk, well, not the walk away. Mining dies. The bottom falls out and... You know, forestry is already kind of, a, you know, the bottom fell out a bit. Will it come back? You know, whatever. Uh, but how many farms do you need to have to, to, you know, kind of equate to that loss in revenue, that loss in jobs, loss, whatever? Like, you know, how much how much business does one farm really bring? How much spin-off jobs do farms bring? Uh, so let's, you know, like, let's say the, the 50 uh, Mennonite community or farmers that came to town, let's, you know, regardless of they're Mennonite or not and, and how their economy works. But let's say 50 families come, start uh, uh, start farms. How many spinoff jobs are there from those 50? From the Mennonite community, none. Not, yeah, that is cultural farming. Yeah. So the Mennonite community trades heavily amongst itself and takes its products to market down south uh, within that cultural mm-hmm. sector. But let's say it's only 50 regular families. Not regular, but sorry, non Mennonite. <laughs> I should correct that, sorry. Yeah. I and don't start we talking always, about burkas and stuff. You're so discriminatory, Jay. <laughs> Some underlying well, racism here. Sorry. Agriculture is not an economic uh, engine, mm-hmm. okay? Because it is um, essentially the consumption of um, products that get sent uh, away. Um, industrial farming, uh, notwithstanding 
sustainable farming, which is like 150 acres, the agriculture that I see coming down the, down the pipe is industrial farming. It doesn't create a lot of jobs. In fact, um, that's why I think it's a good opportunity for us here is because we've got so, so much land that it provides the basis for the technology to come up and use that technology to adjust for the labor markets that is present. We don't have enough people to do the jobs that we have in play now in farming, uh, not in farming, but in, um, agric- in um, mining and uh, forestry. You know, most of the people are, are retiring very shortly. Hopefully they'll stay, but I don't think they will. So we won't have the population to be able to send on the farm. So the industrial farming. But what it does, it is it provides a taxable revenue for the municipalities mm. to exist. And it, it is the proverbial egg. The chicken will follow. Because once you have the crops that are here, right now the, the metrics for... Um, a ton of grain going down south, you have to add 20 bucks that for that ton to get it back to markets and down south. Mm-hmm. And that's why a lot of people say, well, you can't grow grain up north because it's going to cost more to bring it down. But you can't get the processing facilities up north unless you have the yeah. grains locally. Yeah. So the land costs are not going to stay low forever. That's so, true. That's exactly what I that, – that was exactly the point I was kind of uh, wanting to lead into is the fact once people figure this out and there's demand for that land, will that not drive the land costs up? Absolutely. But yeah. the hope is, is that before that price gets ridiculous because right now there's an economic equation that allows what you can pay for that land. Okay. Once we can grow and we can create that, that base of product, if you have enough grain producers – those grain producers can be uh, enable um, an operator to come to no- to north and establish a value added processing plant. You guys are into booze. What about the the, the, the road distillery <laughs> in Hearst? Us? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. Good point. Yeah. Okay. One of his biggest limitations, notwithstanding the cash flow and the limitations of government imposed um, laws on that industry, is his reliability of grain. There was a project in Cochrane and in Arco Falls, this is going back to 94, that they wanted to establish a facility in Cochrane. The biggest impediment was a reliable source of grain to be put into the vat because it required 10 to $12 million to establish a craft uh, distillery. Nobody's going to lend the money if you can't say you can fill up the hoppers yeah, with grain. And make the money. Right. So it is the proverbial yeah. chicken and the egg. And that's why I yeah. think that there's so much value in agriculture in the long term. There's going to be short-term stress, absolutely. But once we can make sure that we have the sufficient volume of product that justifies the, the transformation of that product into a, a secondary and tertiary product, that's, that's, that's exciting. Nice. That's where it's going to come. That's where that's where the real economic benefits uh, happen for for that's the right. area in itself, right? Yeah. So that said, folks, you know what? You heard it here. Go buy some land. Start farming. I'm sure you're going to really make the people over at Radical Gardens happy by telling them that. No, they're eventually not gonna be we're going to we're going to end up with a factory farm just outside of Timmins, and they're not going to be happy. Holding because chickens this is in a little different, cells. Yeah. <laughs> Different type of farming. That's Different thing. type of farming, yeah, yeah. absolutely. No, it's uh, that. that's really interesting to hear that insight on that. And, um, you know, you, you sound like a really big picture guy, somebody who... Wow, look at me. <laughs> <laughs> Not bad. I mean, I'm not going to say anything. But <laughs> yeah, I know this is podcast, but... Uh, <laughs> 
So uh, do we want to move off to maybe a little game? Uh, sure. Let's yeah. lighten up the, the mood yeah, a little bit there. That. I'm uh, I'm feeling inspired now hearing that uh, I'm going to throw all my money in agriculture. Farming. So <laughs> Farming, yes. To, to be fair, I've always wanted to actually buy my own little farm. Oh, I, no. It, everything, you, everything you said in there sounds absolutely uh, like spot on. It makes it makes complete sense when you really think about it, right? And um, it's kind of weird that nobody's mm-hmm. nobody's jumped on it. I don't know. Well, the Mennonites have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you should get on social media those Mennonites. You should get them on your show. There you go. <laughs> you know what? That'd be something Ooh, else. But wouldn't they be kind of weirded out by the mics and all that? Well, they're kind of weirded out by the fact that it's beer. <laughs> They, they can't drink? I'm not too sure why. I don't know. I, I don't are. know either. I'm, I don't know. I, I'm not a man and I don't I'm know telling you, if I had to live without TV, I would be drinking a lot of beer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so um, we, we we played one game, and it's actually, well, we'll be, another disclaimer, not original game. We we got it from uh, from Matt Atchley, who's on the run, who's on uh, Adam Carolla show very often. You're it's, wrong. They got it from us. Yeah, they got it from us, yeah. Just, they did it three years before us. Uh, <laughs> so it's the Rotten Tomatoes game, so... Uh, Am we I going to get like a squeaky toy or something? No, no, just... No, no, there's so, no buzzing in. There's no buzzing in. So essentially, it's uh, I'm going to come up with a couple different uh, uh, movies, and you will guess what the Rotten Tomato score. So Rotten Tomatoes is, if you don't know, is a website online that will rate movies uh, 1 to 100, uh, you know, and how good how good of a movie it is. So uh, so you, what I'll do is I'll go through the two... I'll, I'll, I'll say a movie name ask you what you think the uh, the score would be, 1 to 100. And we're going to go with the all-credits score. Last time we did top critics, uh, I think it was a little skewed. I think we should go with the all-critics. All so what the score is from all the critics, and these are, you know, it's a, uh, it's a what's it, an algorithm, all the different critics, even at the time the movie came out. So you have to kind of adju- judge like, oh, you know, at the time. How was it, it wasn't back really, then? Yeah, did wasn't it really have liked. time to age well? Yeah. I, I, I need a clarification from the judges, please. Sure. I'm uh, not a judge. I'm a participant, and I'm very, yeah, very competitive. <laughs> so what, what? what's the clarification? Are the critics actual... Um, movie critics, yes. Movie critics, not yeah. just run-of-the-mill Joe Gold? You, so that's the thing. So the, we, we can decide this right now. We can go top critics, or we can go all critics. So top critics will usually be uh, very recognized critics from, like, you know, the New York Times. or Siskel the, and Ebert. Siskel and those Ebert. Those kinds of Those people. big guys. Or yeah. the all the guys critics. Guys that get paid to watch movies, right? Yes. Yeah. Or we go all critics, which could be people from different websites and different stuff. Uh, I, I find often the all critics is kind of a, a closer representation of what the, the audience is. Yeah. But the top critics are the top critics. And actually, I think that sometimes lends to be a bit of fun because you might think it's really good, but it might not be a critic darling, which really throws off. So we can go to the top critics oh, and make it a little bit more interesting. Okay. I'm, always, I'm okay. always willing to criticize people with their nose so up in the air. When I throw the score up, you got to give me a second to switch it to top critics. So uh, I'm going to put on my glasses. Yeah, absolutely. Do I get a handicap? Well, you're not going to see anything yet. No, I'm, no, I'm, you're not going to see anything. You just got to mention the name. Yeah. We got to write down what we think it is, and then he'll post it up on the yeah. on the screen right oh, there. Oh, so what do we want? A piece of paper? Oh, you're bragging yeah, rights. I can just uh, I can rifle it off there. For, okay, uh, it'll be just, no. You got to write it down because we can't let you change <laughs> your score <laughs> you after someone picked it. it. Okay, okay. So, uh, so yeah, you win bragging rights, no real score. All right, Corey will just grab something. here. Grab what? There's loose paper underneath. There. All right. Uh, okay, so the, good. the first movie, uh, The Big Short. Ooh, that was a good movie. Good movie. That was a really good movie. Yeah, so out of out of a hundred, what do you think this got? Uh, do I have to qualify? You can if you want. You absolutely can. Just as an aside, Christian Bale in that movie, amazing. I can't believe he played Batman 
and Mark Bury. Hmm? Like, <laughs> no, serious. Like, the the guy's half retarded and got like a, a lazy eye in the movie, and and he also goes on to play bat, like the best Batman. No. Oh, that's Am debatable. I right to say the best Batman. No, that's debatable. Kilmer. <laughs> Give me a break. No, no, no. I'm not going to go with that. George Clooney with, with the, the nipples. nipples. <laughs> I liked, uh, what's the name? Uh, Keaton. I, I really enjoyed him. Batman, Batman Returns. Awesome. Yeah, I, I, I like that one. Yeah. I like that one. See, I'm, I'm a different generation, so. That's what an elitist so, so Adam would West? say. <laughs> no, no. I cannot Adam West. <laughs> Thanks a lot. <laughs> so, okay, so. All big right, short. big short. So, uh, give me a second. I'm going to have to switch it to the uh, the top critics. But we're, so, Corey, uh, what are you rate? We'll go Corey first. So, All right. What are you? Reading? I thought you guess got uh, priority Actually, on this game. Guess go first. Sorry, guess. Okay, no, Robert, no, go good. first. All right. Uh, so, big short, eighty nine. Eighty nine. Generous. I'm a I'm a business movie guy. Yeah. And, okay. So that's I should clarify this. These are all business movies. Okay. So that's why I picked them all specifically for Robert. Uh, so business movies. So business movies. Okay. Mr. McGee. You know what? It was an educational movie for me. Okay. I I I feel I more understood the housing crisis after that movie, probably because of the entertaining little <laughs> scenes they had in there. But uh, I'm going to give it an 85. 85. All right. Or no, it's sorry, not me giving it an 85 because I probably would have given it 110. But it's uh, what I think the critics would have given it. So the top critics give it. An eighty-five percent oh, on and no. off. So this is an un. Uh, this has not been discussed, but often they do do a uh, a five-point swing if you get the you get it correct. So Corey c- could be at negative five right now for his score. Yes. Low score w- wins. A low score wins. Yes. Low score wins. So McGee. what are we playing golf? Yes. <laughs> No, actually not golf. Corey's doing okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I am not a golfer. So the uh, the next movie. Uh, 1987, Wall Street. Oh, that was a good movie. Did they even have Rotten Tomatoes then? <laughs> no, that's the thing. So they, they do. They do an aggregate score of all the old, uh, you know, uh, Ebert is done. dead. <laughs> How did they not, get not, him? But not that time. No, they, so they go. They they look on like you know what uh, archives of you know the old Wall Street Review and all these other. Well, I'm not sure what type of papers they would be, but of these type of old. Uh, uh, reviews and they put them into their their calculation. See, it's this kind of shit that made Charlie Sheen crazy. Yes. Yeah. But, yeah. No. No. He was crazy before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think so. That that was uh, that was a good movie. Michael Douglas with the brick phone. That's what I remember mm-hmm. out of it. You know, making those power moves with his suspenders. You want a friend? Get a dog. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I go good with eighty four. Robert's going from eighty four. All right, Mister McGee. I think. I don't think the critics liked it back then. I think it aged well. I'm going to give it a 75. 75. All right. Uh, so Wall Street, don't look yet. Top critics, 25%. What? I think there's a mistake because when I click the all critics, it is 78. Okay. Top critics, 25%. Top critics, 25%. But it's still saying uh, uh, certified fresh, which... Does it make sense? This, this confirms what we all know. Hollywood has a liberal bias <laughs> against Wall Street and uh, our capitalist Holy society. <laughs> yeah, I'm, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You, you know what you need to do is now do the uh, Wall Street sequel to see if that same value that is was going to carry for you. It was. I didn't like that Leah one at Shepard, all. Uh, Shia LaBeouf was just yeah. horrible. Ah, he's, he's just a horrible human being. So, interesting thing here is yeah, you that... Yeah, he was good in, um, in um, 
uh, Fury. I haven't seen it. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's yeah, on yeah. Netflix. Just came yeah, right. out last yeah. week, so nice. Gotta check that out. Brad Pitt. That's pretty good. So one thing, though, interesting to say is okay, all critics saying seventy-eight. So uh, pretty well between the two of you, and the audience is eighty-one percent. So I think uh, obviously this was not a critic darling at the time, uh, <laughs> as you can see by twenty-five percent. But uh, I think that is a uh, a horribly low score for you know just on Bo Derek uh, Bo Derek right. Is that yeah. her? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Just on Boo Derek alone. It is. Daryl uh, Hannah. Is it Daryl <laughs> Hannah? I thought it was Bo Derek. Derek. Why did I say Boo hey, Derek? That's going back to Daryl Hannah. Ken with yeah. Dudley Moore. Daryl <laughs> Hannah. Oh, Daryl Hannah. Sorry. Sorry. I mix those two up sometimes. You know, these 80s darlings. <laughs> oh, jeez. Rocking. Okay. It, da- Daryl rocking. Hannah. Yeah. Oh, he's going to oh, pull yeah. up the pics. Super rocking. Like, but, just on, on her alone. Like, that's, that's, that's a 35. She's a little weird, though. Whatever. Weird. How so? Aren't good looking blonde Whoa. always kind of weird? You know what? That picture? Bit yeah. of a man face. <laughs> did you ever, did see her in Kill Bill? No. Yeah, she's in Kill yeah, Bill. Yeah, she's yeah, in yeah, Kill yeah, Bill. Yeah. She loses the eye. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. I see it. <laughs> aged well. I see it. Aged well. I see it. This right. movie aged well. So I, I, I saw that movie for the first time, I think, four years ago. Which one? And this movie. Oh, Wall, Street. Wall Street? Yeah. Four years ago? Yeah, yeah. It was the first time. Well, I mean, like, 87. I was a what? year old. So Holy crap. <laughs> That's scary. So, I mean, uh, it probably wasn't in my wheelhouse when Honey, Shr- I Shrunk the Kids came out. Like, <laughs> but, but, uh, I feel old now. But, but it's a good movie. It's, yeah. a, it's a really good movie. Yeah, it, uh, it kind of speaks to, what, what, what is it? The virtue of greed? Yeah. Virtue and vice of greed? <laughs> the sin. Yeah, well, that's yeah. what these that's what these NDPers use as their um, <laughs> vetting tool for demonstrating what pol- uh, what conservative politics is like. Hey, were you one uh, of the people who voted twenty five percent on Wall Street? <laughs> Come on in. <laughs> All right. Actually, that's the question we ask when they walk into the door. What do you think about Wolf Wall Street or, or Wall Street? All right, you're, you can get it. All right, next movie. Uh, a a recent blockbuster. 2013's film Internship with Vince Vaughn and I have business Owen movie. Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it'd be funny. So uh, I don't get the humor though. It was hilarious. It was a bad it was movie. Funny. It was a bad I movie. Bad movie. You thought it was good? Like it is it. horrendous. Uh, I, I think yeah, so. I, I, I maybe maybe I'm trying to throw the score off. Maybe I'm trying to get uh, Corey to change his score. Who knows? Maybe it was really good, and I'm just uh, deceiving him. Well, well, how can I Wall score it when I haven't seen it? <laughs> okay, I will. So Owen Wilson is in it and, and Vince Vaughn. It's it's pretty much like I said, Wedding Crashers. Yeah, in a Google internship. So think think like about Crashers. Think about a comedy though, and critics. Do critics Ooh. like comedies? That's the tough part. Because we saw, was it uh, Blues Brothers? Was rated no, hardly no, anything? No, 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 no. Do you know? Yeah, but wasn't uh, School of Rock? Yeah, it was like a ninety-eight. Rated a 98. Made no sense. Uh, somebody got paid on it. Oh, I don't mind. Yeah, confused. All right, um, internship. I uh, will go 67. 67. Mm. Mr. McGee. Yield 69. 69. Uh, I believe you guys are going to be. I don't know what the score is, but I would assume much lower. Really? Uh, so top critics, uh, 23%, <laughs> guys. Come on. Okay, I, I should have guessed if they gave Wall Street 25. <laughs> it's got to be lower than that. But how are they 2% away from Wall Street? Yeah, I don't know. Like that, I mean, where's all the right. delta on that? <laughs> so, uh, and you know what? Uh, I think all critics were like 30-something, 30 35, and audience 51. So, yeah, that's a 
a bad movie all around. So, uh, next one, 2013, which was, I guess, a big year for uh, movies. Internship, The Wolf of Wall Street. I'm sorry, The Wolf of Wall Street, 2013. So, that's the next movie. All right, Leo. Leo. I like he, that movie. He He's a darling of the left. Yes, the, so, the critics uh, movie love critics, critics must love him. Love him. So, he's... Um, I'm gonna okay no sorry I'll let I'll let Robert go first. But, oh really? Uh, yeah. I really like that movie. That was a it lot was of fun. a good movie. Just for a pure entertainment value. Um, I will go. Oh, at least I'd say eighty-two. Ooh, generous. I didn't realize generous? all when I watched this movie. I didn't realize all these Wall Street guys were just like coked up all the time. It was the eighties. <laughs> It was the 80s. Everybody was coked up. Yeah. No, we weren't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to give it a 91. 91. Sorry, let me write this down. I'm like that guy on uh, Price is Right who just bets a dollar <laughs> or, or $1 <laughs> over or what. Yeah. I will pick 82. Uh, fuck. 83. Uh, Wolf Wall Street. 82. 74% by the top critics. What? Come what the audience on. score, though? That's audience. I don't you would have been right on with the audience score. That was a great movie. I, I still I want minus I, five points on that one. I think there's something about like <laughs> I would love to see what they teach people in like film school so they can be film critics. I think like who? What do you do to become a film critic? You lose out from any getting any jobs as a film director. <laughs> as a filmmaker, <laughs> so you get to decide whose you don't, films you, are you good. Don't and get bad. dates. I don't know. <sighs> Yeah. All right, so we got two Anybody more. Can be a critic. Eh? We got two more uh, assholes. Uh, so uh, this one from 1992, uh, one of the best quotes ever: "Coffees for closers." Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. I'll give you a better a better quote from that movie. Here's okay, it. what is it? What's her name? Fuck you. That's my name. Is <laughs> uh, not the movie where the, the guy came weak. out? Yeah, the, the movie. The, the guy had uh, brass balls in his hands. <laughs> I believe so, yeah. Uh, it's Alec Baldwin, Alec right? Baldwin. Yeah. yeah, it's uh the, the leads are weak. Yeah, but that was the that leads was a, are weak. You're weak. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was a movie based out of a actual drama play. That was uh, it was a drama that got made into a movie. Okay. So critics going to like this one. Oh no. You oh, think, so? you think they, oh, you yeah. think they right. will? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. So well, well, and Corey can't change the score. Very put it down. I haven't Don't put change mine it. down. Oh, okay. I haven't put mine down yet. I'll say 91. 91. Corey. 85. 85. Final answer, Regis. Top critics. What? 88%. Yeah, but look Did at I all win? critics. Look at yeah, all critics. Was, 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 uh, all critics was 94. 94. Man. Good movie. Yeah, it was. You guys were close on that one. Both of you were close. All right. Is, it, is John Cusack in that movie? No. Is that no, That's, Kevin Spacey? Uh, Spacey, uh, Spacey yeah. yeah, okay. Sorry, hard to tell the difference, you know, when they're young days. Jack Lemmon, Alec Baldwin, Kevin Spacey, Alan Arkin, and Ed Harris. He's had a lot of yeah. That's that's a a lot of big names. That's a very uh, you know all star cast. All right, so the final one, and uh, this might be you know what? All right, this is coming right down to the wire here. I'm not gonna lie, or I might. I usually do. Uh, Our final movie uh, from 2011. Margin call. Margin call. Mm. See, this mm. is like Margin Call was the actual same movie as the Big Short, but <laughs> without the fancy explanations. 
<laughs> without the little soliloquies on the side where they would just yeah. sit there and, t- and they'd have Selena Gomez explaining what... Uh, From a crapshoot? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, no, the, the margin what, call... What, uh, was it ends are? Yeah, it was a grown-up movie. <laughs> What's that? It was a grown-up movie. A grown-up movie. movie. <laughs> uh, I'll go 78 on that one. I'm Mr. just McGee. stabbing in the dark. You know what? I'm stabbing in the dark, too, and I'm going to... Lowball this thing. 55. See, this is, uh, I think, uh, with some good gamemanship would have been good. Uh, Corey would have thought about it, or yourself, is that you have to go... Whoever would have went second should... If you think it's a close game, you should have stayed close. Because if you don't want to be too many points off. But if you go ah. way off, you know, you're... You're, you're screwed. I'm so just it's, betting. It's kind I'm of a funny. betting man. It's on, do you hit for defenses or you try to get on base? You know, you gotta. Oh, talking Quit about playing that. lawyer ball, Jay. All right, so margin call with the top critics is. All right, Jesus Christ. Come on. Hold on, with top critics. What? Ninety percent. Wow. Ninety percent. Wow, Would you that's... say again, Corey? It was fifty-eight. <laughs> Fifty-five. Fifty-five. I haven't seen the movie. <laughs> Give me a break, man. <laughs> Well, that was the same thing I had with internship. <laughs> Pretty so much. That, that was the equalizer. Evens out. Evens out. All right. So uh, give me one second. I'm going to come up with the score for you guys. Uh, that was a fun game, Jay. We should do this more often. I think um, last week's game was a little bit more in my wheelhouse. Yes, more. We did a music, music-related one with uh, – we had a – uh, local punk band here. And we, oh, really? Uh, yeah. They drank all our beer, yeah, assholes. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'm going to read the score in a second, but uh, the reason why we I also want to do another uh, uh, Rotten Tomatoes uh, mo- uh, films, because I want to just promote uh, self, self-promotion self here, uh, the next Timmins Film Society movie, so all, the, all our listeners in Timmins, our next film is uh, on Wednesday, November 9th. It is D-Pan. It's the winner of the Palme d'Or uh, Festival at the uh, Canes. Uh, this one is actually sponsored by the Tim's Economic Development Corporation. Uh, we will have one uh, with two weeks afterwards. Uh, do I remember what the movie is? Unfortunately, I don't. But that one will be re- re- sponsored by Commerce Management Crew. <laughs> ah, there, there's a little plug. I right? probably yeah, should have figured out what the movie name was. Sure. We yeah, getting paid for that? <laughs> yeah, but he plugs it in at the EDC at the same time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's a nice guy. You know, he yeah. just doesn't want. That's where his wife works now. Yeah. Yeah. But one thing I do want to say is that we actually are going to be uh, screening uh, the film that was uh, recorded in. Backyards, Timmins. Oh, cool! Uh, two lovers and a bear. So we believe, uh, not official yet, but uh, we we're pro- probably looking at the uh, on a matinee movie on December fourth on the Sunday, and two showings uh, December fifth. So uh, we are looking for sponsors for that film as well to see if people want to sponsor that. That's going to be a big draw, and we're going to be getting we're going to try to get uh, local actors who were in the film to uh, come out to that. So uh, that's all. That's cool. All now. I'll so, take that one too. Yeah. Oh, That's hey, awesome. There you go. Nice. Got someone already. <laughs> Job done. Right on. <laughs> All right. No. So, see, uh, that, that's that's one thing I wanted to take a second to talk a little bit about that because, you know, I'm I would consider myself out of both of us the uh arts and culture guy, I guess, maybe. <laughs> you you're you're the political you? and uh, How dare you? Yes. Well, I would tend to agree with that yeah. statement. <laughs> <laughs> but um just the fact that uh you know we we've been seeing or at least it's been a little bit more evident in the media now there's a little bit more exposure uh through what we're getting through either tourism or general arts and culture events that are are being put on in Timmins um how are your feelings regarding okay. before uh, you you the, get to that sure 
for, I got to tell you who the winner was real quick. Oh, okay. I forgot yeah. about yeah, yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. It's easy. It's right, easy. You know, right. Corey just thought like, oh, I just I got just, blown yeah. out of the water at the end. So, yeah, yeah. So the right, score Jay, was 146 to 131. So we're going Ooh. to the low score. Uh, so the winner with 131, Robert Monson. Oh! Hey! And well before played, that, sir. it was 119, uh, Robert, 111, Corey. Then Corey decides to go, <laughs> go the super low ball and loses the game. This is what happens uh. when you don't keep, when you're you're not taking you're not keeping track of your score while you play. All right, so go ahead, uh, arts in the area. <laughs> yeah, lost my train of thought. Anyways, what I was saying is that uh, with the the events that have been going on in Timmins, the stuff that's been uh, the initiatives that have been going on with regards to arts and culture, how do you feel about the economic impact that something like uh, that type of industry can have on a community, uh, Timmins more specifically? Well, tourism um, back in 97 was being seen by the provincial government as a panacea for uh, the North economic woes. So they came up with a concept uh, and a program called Destination North. And at that time, um, um, Sudbury, Discover Sudbury, I think it's called. Um, It's the the facility attraction that you can go underground. Yes. uh, Okay, well, that was partially funded by a program for uh, tourism. Um, Timmins got the Shania Twain Center out of that program. Okay? Hey, 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 I'm bringing, you opened up this game. Yeah, yeah, no, no, that's hey, fine. That's fine. That's fine. I'm, I'm, I'm very interested in hearing about this. Yes. At that time, there was only five municipalities that were allowed into this programming. North Bay, Sudbury, Thunder Bay, and uh, Sioux. The Sioux created the Bush Plain Museum. Subway created Discovery North. That's what it was called. North Bay wanted to expand their um, waterfront along um, uh, just where their rail center is in the UNTC mm-hmm. was. Right downtown. Yeah. And uh, Timmins did the, uh, the Shania Twain. <laughs> we showed them what's up. Wait. And then <laughs> he says, wait, 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 I got more. I got more. And then the smaller municipalities got all pissed off and said, wait, we want stuff too. So Kirk and Lake got some dough, Cochrane got some dough, Hearst got some dough, and um, I think that was it. And so Kirk and Lake turned around and says, uh, we're going to create the um, Northern Ontario Hockey Heritage North program. Um, Hearst decided they were going to do the uh, Discovery uh, train, the steam train program. Okay, so an extension from the Algoma Mm -hmm. um, uh, train from Hearst, uh, from Sault Ste. Marie going up to Hearst. Cochrane did the polar bear program. And I was privileged enough to come up with that project in Cochrane. And I have to I have to plug me plug the, the firm in there. <laughs> I gotta plug the firm. It is still the only one that's operating. It's a okay. very good program. I uh, I have two young kids and uh we've taken our kids up to to it before and it's uh but the problem cool. is, the, the reality of what I'm trying to point at is that although Sagamish Management did the Cock and Polar Bear Project. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a larger picture you're trying the, to point the, to here. The larger yeah. picture is that tourism in itself isn't sufficient to be able to make an economic impact on a real basis. Okay? Honestly, it's a nice thing to have. It's a, it's a, it's it's a complimentary thing. When it comes to smaller communities, all or communities, it, even when you're when look you're looking at, at large cities, look at Sudbury. Sudbury is subsidizing science. Um, what is it? Science North uh, to the tune of 
hundreds of thousands, not millions a year, either directly or indirectly. Um, Kirk and Lake with their um, Heritage North program um, just converted into a conference center. A conference center, and you know why? It's because the government forced them to accept the liability if it didn't work. Mm-hmm. So they're on the hook anyway. So they created a conference center. Um, well, we all know what happened to the uh, the Shania Twain thing, and that was it. That whole exercise uh, didn't pan out. It was a failure. It was a failure. And the problem with tourism is that it is a transient activity. Once you've cycled all the people through, whatever you built no longer is valid. Unless you got like a Disneyland. Yeah, but we're not Disneyland. Mm. Northern Ontario has to compete for people um, coming to the tourism area that can, sitting in Toronto going, hey, am I going to Timmins or am I going to go to Florida? There was um, in Moosonee and Moose Factory, there's cultural tourism there that is abound. Mm-hmm. The values there are incredible. The old Revlon, uh, Revlon uh, facility, the uh, Hudson's Bay Fort, um, the factory, the all of this stuff. ONTC gave it to the communi- communities. They then hired um, an international specialist on tourism who went up there to try to develop a facility or an attraction that would draw people from the outside, and they came up to the conclusions, you can build whatever you want. People are not going to come. They're not going to come here. So, But tourism is an important component of here, but we have to face facts. We have to be real in what type of tourism that comes up here. So are we are we really limited to the fact that any tourism is more for the cultural enrichment of the people who already live here and isn't necessarily going to attract on a on a reliable basis people from that's all a slippery over, slope all over okay. the world. It's a slippery slope because just look at this um, fireworks festival that they're planning for. Yeah, I definitely wanted to get your opinion. Okay, on that. they're going to spend three point five million bucks. Yeah, they want to have um, that number of people into the community. If you look at the Quebec model, the Quebec model is La Foi Gourmand. It used to be the uh, Ville Marie Regattas, uh, the Notre Dame de Nal Rodeo. These bring in eighty to 90,000 people. And it's most definitely worth it uh, for these municipalities to do it. And if you can get to that level, good for you. Okay? But the effort to use that as a catalyst is insufficient to launch an industry let's say but is, like, is that their plan that's okay. I, I i don't know yeah. i'm not close enough to, to understand it but that's mm-hmm. always in people's justification for spending that kind of dough is we're going to create this infrastructure to be able to draw people and that's going to create secondary and tertiary activities and then people will recognize the north so it's like um uh, stimulus spending for that kind of industry right the idea that you're you're going to throw one large festival to show that it's possible and then People are just gonna gonna come, and yeah. and eventually some some private partner is gonna gonna take this over and and, and yeah, run this. That right? ain't gonna happen. It's just not gonna happen. And and nobody's gonna do it without the support of the taxpayer. 
That's right. And I honestly believe that uh, there's a little bit of a political play at, at hand in this proposed project because what they've mm-hmm. offered was a budget of, what, $3.5 million. Mm-hmm. And this is a happening on the 150th anniversary of Canada. There's been no mention, at least that I know of, of any grants or contributions being uh, provided by senior governments mm-hmm. towards this initiative. So I think that... Steve Black's going to look like a hero in about six months when the feds and the province turn around and says, oh, okay, we'll support your project by a tune of a million dollars. So he's going to turn around and say, hey, listen, it's not 3.5, it's 2.5, 1.5. We just lose a- money. Yeah. So, you know, good for him if he can pull that off. But it, it, you're, but, you're but not seeing my- it as anything larger than a one-time event. No. No, absolutely not. Just look at the uh, – and then look at the baseline here. Um these guys, these international um, firework guys, it's a business. Mm-hmm. Okay. They're in Rouen, what, a week or two weeks before? Or maybe the other way around? But Rouen has an international uh, fireworks festival. These guys need to get paid. They bring, but they do bring in 40,000 people in, uh, in Rouen for this activity. So there is value. But it's a very concentrated value. And if you look at it on the basis of long-term economic growth, it's a flash in a pan. Mm-hmm. Okay? And is it really incumbent upon a municipality to be able to take care of that cost for a short-term gain? Mm. No. So, so not in my opinion, no. But do, but do you think that there's the there's some merit in the idea of uh, – the, the the cultural significance that it brings to a community, the amount of uh, the, the fact sig- that people that, that that it's something for people to do. No, no. that's that's park bench uh, economic growth. Okay, you build a park bench, people will be able to be staying here. Therefore, it's a nicer place to stay. Therefore, they'll they'll live here. People live here because they have jobs. Period. That's it. So my question, hmm. okay, so maybe you know this one-off project might you know. Hey, it might be financially viable just for the one one shot. It might not. It won't be a, a sustainable thing for, for in the future. Uh, maybe political play, which I do probably lean more towards that and agree with that. Uh, if you're listening, Steve, sorry. Uh, uh, but uh, you fucking sycophant. <laughs> but whatever. You sat here and went, "Yeah, that's a great idea, Steve." Yeah. Oh, I, I just. I think. I think it can make money. I, I do think. It, I, I believe it. Probably, it's probably going to make money. But you're probably right. It's probably not going to be a long term thing. Right. But who but should you take the risk there? Oh, well, come on. It yeah, shouldn't I, be a municipality no, taking on risk. And I, I, I'll, mm. I rather, I, I rather see a uh, a promoter do it. But guess what? No promoter, no private industry is willing to take that risk in Timmins. Uh, I think what what a lot of people are saying is that should tell us something. I might, that, yeah. that maybe it's hey, not John, Johnny Cash, big name, lost money in Timmins. Jesus, <laughs> stop well, it! Tom Carter came to Timmins, lost money. There's just some there. There are certain factors you're not going to get over, and and the one thing, and and I mean, like I'm I'm a little bit plugged in with uh, our I'm going to call it alternative uh, music scene here in town. And uh, for the level of events that they put on, um, they're successful. They they're able to make it sustainable. This is and at it's the com- uh, working class. Yes, exactly. My son goes to the working class all the time. Yeah. He loves it. Yeah, and because it is an intimate environment, yeah, they bring in class A bands. Yeah, and they provide a um, a quote unquote Southern Ontario experience in Timmins. Sure. Yeah. So in that regards, they are satisfying a need. 
So, but the problem, the, the way that I see it with the municipality getting involved, that when they turn it around and try to justify a cultural-based activity on the premise that it's going to create economic gains, nah, that, 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 that argument doesn't, doesn't fly. Hmm. Because it's not something that's going to be sustainable. It's going to be something that's going to be, like, like you called it, a flash in the pan kind of uh, event. And I honestly believe, I, I hope, I'll buy a pass, I'm buying a, my family a pass, but it is misguided um, direction for economic growth. Do you think there's some political capital to be gained in this well, kind of... Well, it, it, if it is, it ain't worth the risk. So you think? Uh, Imagine what? Just I, I, wait, you're wait. right. If this thing's a huge failure, just yeah, that's it. He's done. Yeah. So you, you just look at the uh, the Tim and Taxpayers Taxpayers Association are going to be all over oh, him, man. Um, on this. But if he if it's a it's a winner, everything everybody every go everybody goes uh, yay Ray let's go let's do it again next year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it it's it's a crapshoot, but our long-term economic standing shouldn't be a crapshoot. And it shouldn't be based on this type of, uh, like you say, flash in the pen industry. So my question, you're saying, okay, so yeah, these one-off one-off things are not something that we should be running on and we shouldn't, that should not be, but when you're saying tourism as, uh, as an industry generally, like, is that not something maybe we should, like, can we not promote that still? Because like, you know, you look at places like, uh, uh, whatever it's, uh, Sierra Meadows, you know, and we've been there in the summer, in the winter. There's skidoos lined up. There's trailers of full skidoos, and they're they're here. That's tourism. They're they're coming here because they, you know, there's a promotion of the trail system in Northern Ontario in Timmins. Oh, that brings I, a fair amount of people. I so agree. should we not still be in that business to promote tourism? Like, should we not have a tourism department and do all that? Stuff? Yeah, there's a difference between promoting yeah. tourism as an industry yeah. and and individual activities. Dude. If you look at the beneficiaries of tourism, mm-hmm. okay, it's a very small bucket. You're talking gas stations, restaurants, hotels, mm-hmm. uh, and operators. Sorry. Well, it should be incumbent upon those four classes of uh, ben- uh, beneficiaries to turn around and provide that activity to grow that business. Mm-hmm. It's, it's simple marketing. Mm-hmm. This is how you mm-hmm. generate your own product. Yeah. So th- there's been um, uh, Sault Ste. Marie put in place a, a taxation, essentially a tax mm-hmm. on – um, hotel rooms that would um, pay for future activities and the promotion of Sault Ste. Marie as an undertaking. Um, you have very broad and established um, tourism associations across the north, NOTA, the Northern Ontario Tourism mm-hmm. Association, and then you've got the um, um, the other organizations that are more pronounced to the activities being taken. Um, those organizations are wonderful. Um, there used to be James Bay Frontier. Mm-hmm. It is a good activity, but it does not – even if – use the example, the, um, the Groundhog River going up uh, to Moosini, okay? You have canoes there. It's a great resource. We should exploit it and do everything about it. Well, you turn around, you triple the volume of people, and to triple anything requires a huge undertaking. Mm-hmm. But you triple that, 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 that effort – well, now you got six hundred people going instead of two hundred. The economic value is disproportionate to the effort required mm-hmm. to make it happen. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay, and it would be easier. Just as an example, we all your grade eight uh, class went to Toronto to, to on their grade eight trip. Quebec City, Ottawa. 
Oh, really? <laughs> we just chat on his point completely. But anyway, yes, we all went to Toronto. Yes, sure. continue. Okay, continue. well, when's the last time Toronto kids came to Timmins for their grade eight trip? True. <laughs> Good point. Okay. Well, I think that through the agencies that are already in play, something like the uh, Northern Ontario Heritage Corporation should put in play a... a, a, a program that would encourage those kids Mm -hmm. to come north so that they can experience the cultural-based activities so that they can in turn have a memory of Northern Ontario, actually see Northern Ontario instead of, oh yeah, berries on Northern Ontario. Yeah, yeah, like the sledding, the hunting, the fishing, the, you know, all all the stuff involved, yeah. What we do as a way of life, and and I think you make a really good point on on that front, saying that where the value lies in in tourism in our area is the things that are unique to our area. It's not trying to transpose things from down south and making them, uh, you know, happen here. There is a certain, you know, subset of the community that's going to want to do that like you were talking about the the working class provides that that big city experience in in an intimate venue here in Timmins and there's people who are going to jump on that but it's people who live here right it's not you know they they'll have uh, the the one thing that they'll I'm sure they'll point to is their event that they they had the heart of gold fest that drew people from the surrounding communities but but you will always have that okay and and should that activity be an extension of us as citizens living in Timmins, creating activities for us to enjoy, rather than framing it in some some self-delusional way that this is economic development? And mm. I think that that is my objection to the process. Mm. Yeah, it's like but fake, fake... Uh, it's justification. So what, what is it? Faux development but development. like are, are are they arguing i don't know are they arguing that this is going to be a new a new industry and and this is going to be economic development or are they arguing whatever reason i i don't know so like you're right if they're arguing this is this is the new the new industry tim is going to take on and it's going to be our our saving grace yeah and being for, you know i guess supposed to be in the lefty in the room i think that's complete bullshit yeah i, that, I that's don't I, I don't think any no. serious person can sit here and say that timmins is going to be the next hollywood or the next, well, you just, know, L.A. You know what um, NOHFC has done, okay, through one of their programs, and you're familiar with NOHFC. That's a, a government body that um, hands out $100 million a year for economic development. And that was created in um, the late 70s because Northern Ontario wanted to be a separate province. All right. <laughs> We've covered that. You've covered uh, it. No, 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 we've covered with that the on no, this program with, with the, no the Northern party. Ontario Party. Nope. Apparently, we have a separatist party. But uh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> Ed Dibell. Ed Dibell created this uh, uh, such a rant at that time, and it created such a kerfuffle that um, they created the Northern Ontario Heritage Corporation. It was sponsored by uh, Fontaine, who was uh, the minister at the time, and he was from Hearst. So they created this fund. All right, so the, the the money gets doled out. The problem with NOHFC is that it is hijacked by those individuals seeking to substitute economic development activity with cash contributions for the regular day to day activities. Yeah. So, and at any rate, 
it is a great organization. It is a needed organization. And the point that I want to make is that it should be utilized for long-term economic growth. Mm. We have uh, a problem that uh, we have a myop myopic view of long-term. And it's a political process by four years, four years, four years, four years. Agriculture? Guaranteed. It's 25 years before yeah. it becomes in play. Yeah. So is somebody going to risk political capital to invest in that process when the benefits are not going to get realized till in the future? See, and that used to be such a reality for provincial and federal politics. And now you're seeing that kind of trickle down to the municipal politics. Because I, I think, you know, people criticize uh, things like, you know, career politicians, people who make those steps from... And, and, I, and I think there's more and more people who are seeing things like... Uh, political office as being a career opportunity rather than serving their constituency. And, um, well, as Jay, he was the one who wants to go right. into it. Boy, yeah, so, oh, I could have started at 28. It could have been a great, guy. Uh, could have been a great start to that. Thing. <laughs> no, but, but this idea that, it, you know, everybody sees things in four year blocks. And what can I do? It, like, as soon as I'm elected, what do I need to do to get reelected? And um, precisely, it's uh, it's unfortunate because instead of actually having people, uh, you know, contributing to the way society runs and and, and running these things uh, appropriately, what they're doing is they're campaigning all the time, right? And, well, no, and I think we're sliding into kind of well, no, U.S. style politics. It's not that but, they, yeah, well, that's right, and yeah. and they're not sliding into trying to get reelected. They're just looking at. Um, a process that doesn't solve the problem it solves the argument mm. that's a, that's a good you know what i'm going to steal that <laughs> don't, don't solve the process solve the argument that's a that there's a there's a mantra for a you know aspiring politician don't yeah. solve the problem solve the argument that's, <laughs> that's good <laughs> but the, and it's and it's true and but it's not unique to uh, the political environment mm -hmm. if you're looking at the capital pool process right now companies trying to get some dollars to invest in the long term are limited to a capitalization rate of 24 to 36 months so look at the like in the forest sector that we haven't talked about yet but the forest <laughs> sector is horrible these poor bastards are sitting on assets that are so decrepit that they are not going to survive another cycle. So, but nobody's investing in them hmm. because there's no support. Yeah. So in that environment, what we get is like in, in Tembeck, in Kappa's casing. I honestly fear for that mill. If we have a significant downturn in the economic structure, they're going to close that and nobody's going to want to put it back together again. Humpty Dumpty will have fallen. <laughs> Yeah. And there'll be uh, the the cost, the initial cost uh, in in getting that thing up and running for any purpose again is going to be outside of anybody's consideration. Well, just yeah. look at your dad's um, community of Smooth Rock Falls. Yeah. That mill was initially started in uh, the Metagamy Forest Paper Company back in 1907. Jesus. They never they modernized it over time. Over time, when we the Millets bought it, they made some changes. But the thing is, is that the underlying infrastructure was never really adapted to the technology that came about. Mm -hmm. So it came to a point where it just didn't make sense to, to, to keep it going. So it's gone. Yeah. And that's translating into such an opportunity loss for Northern Ontario. And if you look at the last down uh, forestry cycle, you got uh, Marathon, you got uh, Smooth Rock, you've got uh, Erica Falls, you've got Timmins, you've got a lot of these companies that had operations that had just evaporated. 
and the consumption of the forest products are not being done, mm-hmm. and that's not translating into jobs and yada 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 yada. Yep, yep. No, and it's uh, it, it's kind of unfortunate that it, it seems like the people in charge aren't aren't seeing foreseeing this stuff, mm-hmm. and uh, and maybe no, no, it gotta, has more to do with. You got to give them credit. Yeah, uh, people in government, people in power authority are smart. Um, they're there because they have a job to do. Um, but I think that the boundaries that we put on them, the handcuffs that we put on them, prevent them from making long-term rash mm-hmm. decisions because mm-hmm. of beauty, because of political decisions. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's go back to health, healthcare. Mm. Okay, it's, I'm not going to say something very popular here, <laughs> but the Smooth Rockwell Hospital should close. Yeah. Okay, it should close to the benefit of one in Timmins, the one in Campus Casing. Um, and elsewhere, because the, the resources are being consumed and it's being marginalized by all the other facilities. And what people in those communities would say is, what do you do with the people who are utilizing those, those resources? You need somebody with a little bit of um, the Glenn Clary, Glenn Ross balls to be able to make that decision. Yeah. And no politicians will make that decision in this light of day. And it's difficult, but it's a reality that we have to take care of if we want the North to live. Yeah. I, 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 and, you know, I, I spoke to the fact that, you know, you're a big picture guy um, earlier. And, and I think uh, I, I don't want it to come off as a complice halt, but <laughs> or a compliment and insult at the same time. But uh, the idea that when we, when we look at things in the big picture and we look at the, the greater good, um, sometimes we miss some of the things that, that affect individuals in, in, the, in the onset of these things. And, and I think having those, op, those opposed political uh, forces, like we were talking about at the, at the very start before we started the podcast, I think kind of helps to pull things from each side all the time. We just keep muddling along and figuring out sources that, or uh, solutions that satisfy everybody. Yeah, but that's the problem of going back to, okay, solve the argument and not the problem. Yeah. yeah. And if, if somebody's got to take the political hack um, and bring it onto the table and say, listen, this is an issue um, that is going to affect. Because mm-hmm. the problem that I'm, I'm seeing with Northern Ontario right now is that we don't have enough writings. Okay? We don't matter. Northern Ontario doesn't matter to Queen's Park. We're, they're providing us lip service. Okay, as long as I'm not, Northern Ontario heritage is in place, here's your $100 million. Go, yeah, go out and multiply the problem is, is that we need more rationalized decisions based on a strategic plan for mm-hmm. Northern Ontario that requires us to make decisions that are unpopular. Yeah. And Jason, you're a politician, a wannabe. <laughs> you know, <laughs> how would you Show win us an election? Show brass balls, Jay. Sorry. Jason, are you going to turn around and say that you're, pop- you're a potential electorate and said, sorry, I'm going to cut your services in the yeah. short term to be able to make a long-term uh, an existence? No. It would be, uh, be, be super hard to do that because, like, you, like you're saying, you can kiss your, your political career goodbye if that's something you want to do. Uh, you know, I do, you know, I'm going to be... I'm going, to, I'm going to speak as if I'm all holier than now. Of course, I want to make these hard decisions that and that no one else would want to do. But let's be honest. All right, Rob Ford. People who make these decisions. <laughs> hey, what, is he the cocaine guy? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we should not no. be mocking a dead man. <laughs> uh, but uh, 
But no, you're right. It's, it's you know, who's going to make that decision? No one's going to want to make that call. Absolutely. No, no one's going to want to make it. It's, it's the, it might be the right call. It might be the thing to do. Uh, but then, you know, like, you, you know, you're weighing, you're arguing, you know, the, the soft, not soft science, but the, the soft realities against the hard realities, you know, like, you know, like the, the social aspect compared to the, the economic aspect. And, you know, it's like, you know, and what, well, where do you put that dollar? I, but and, and I think, you know what, just because um, we are coming up on the two hour mark here. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we, we tend to exhaust our, yeah. our listeners endurance at this point. No, no, no. I'll, uh, absolutely. I'll let you wrap up. I, the only thing that I, I, I definitely wanted to speak, on there is saying that I think that's the eternal struggle there is this this matter that you're you're going to either speak to the greater good and leave individuals behind and there's always going to be those political forces who are going mm-hmm. to be fighting against that and wanting to fight for the small individuals and uh, you know we spoke to to Charlie Angus on on this this podcast and he came off to me as somebody um who fought for those individuals who who represented those people and and was a, a very you know he was an idealist guy and it doesn't seem like a lot of um the politics he represents are necessarily workable but i think it's almost essential to have somebody pushing on that side so that those individuals don't get left behind and and this is the paradox of politics mm-hmm is that for Charlie to help the individuals and truly help rather than lip service, he's got to make those calls. Mm. Okay? And they're unpopular. Case in point, Val Rita. Okay? You've got a community there, six, 700 people. The majority of them are, you know, between 60 and, and 85. Those people can't stay in that community from 85 to 90. They don't have the services to mm. do it. So you're going to be taking away dollars from somebody in Matheson and Timmins to make sure that three people are taken care of in mm-hmm. Valrita. Yeah. And, it, and I'm not advocating one side or another. It's just, just those stark realities those needs, have to be faced. Those decisions yeah. need to be made, and, and those and are the reasons why. the political climates that we have today aren't supportive of no. those, those decisions that need to be made. I, I and you know what I'm I'm sympathetic to anybody who runs for political office re- regardless of the ideology you represent. So um you know what uh I'm <laughs> like I said I I think we're we're coming up on that on that critical point there of uh we we didn't we got into quite a lot tonight and I I'm really happy to have you on here on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, I it was uh it was a real treat. I appreciate you coming on and uh and, and talking to us a little bit about this interesting stuff. It, it was nice to get your point of view. Um, especially, I feel it differed from a lot of the points of view that we've had on the podcast mm-hmm. already. Yep. So uh, I think our listeners will definitely enjoy that and uh, and appreciate the fact that there are two sides to every argument. <laughs> All right, Tim's Taxpayers Association, get the fuck off our back. <laughs> uh, so... On that note, uh, again, I'd like to invite everybody to join us on November 8th. Uh, we're going to be celebrating the end of the world, Armageddon. Everyone, uh, build your concrete bunkers in your backyard, Donald Trump, uh, just in case Donald Trump gets elected. Oh, I thought you were saying if Hillary wins. Oh, her too. Sorry. I mean, her too. It's, it's all the same. Anyways. So, uh, Jay, would you like to sign us off on uh, another uh, Great Beer and Bullshit podcast? Will do. I was going to... Uh Please don't look over at the screen, you two. But I'm going to sign us off with uh, a quote from uh, the impeccable 
Homer J. Simpson. I would kill everyone in this room for a drop of sweet beer. <laughs> nice to know. <laughs> Cheers, guys. Have a Cheers. great night. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye.